more Donald Duck and Scrooge McDuck related. I think Scrooge is his, like, well, he's their uncle, so why would Scrooge be his uncle? I don't know. No, he's not the, he can't be Donald's uncle, exactly. Yeah. Let's Google this. Papa Google. How are Donald Papa Google sounds like a pasta variety. Papa Google. Papa Google. Some Papa Google. Oh, thanks, mouseworldtravel.blogspot.com. Mouseworldtravel2.blogspot.com. This is by Jennifer Dowling from July 2012. We know Scrooge is referred to as Uncle... The reason I asked this, by the way, is that Disney Channel is doing a new uh, DuckTales show. And they like put a trailer before a Star Wars Rebels episode, and I was like, oh, man. And the cast is good, but whatever. We know Scrooge is referred to as Uncle by both Donald and Donald's nephews. First, I will tell you how Huey, Dewey, and Louie are related to Donald. They are Donald's, Donald's sister, Della Duck's children. Donald and Della duck are descendants of the mcduck clan through their maternal line of ancestry <laughs> the identity of the boy's father is something of a mystery very little is known about him it was revealed in an early comic strip that mr duck was sent to the hospital because huey dewey and louie placed a firecracker uh, cracker under his armchair as a prank with disastrous results they killed their dad <laughs> it was because of this incident that della sent her sons to her brother donald duck while originally meant to be a one-month stay, the nephews wound up staying with Donald permanently. However, both Della and Donald are linked to Scrooge in equal measure, and yet Donald is always referred to as Scrooge's closest living relative. On to Scrooge's relationship. Did you know that Donald had a mother and her name was Hortense? She is Scrooge McDuck's youngest sister. The family was born in Scotland to a work- Oh my god! The family was born in Scotland. The family was born in Scotland to a working class family living in relative poverty. At around the age of 13, Scrooge emigrated to the US. Approximately 12 years later, Scrooge returned to Scotland to fetch his two sisters, Hortense and Matilda. He's, Hortense He's Andrew Carnegie, basically. <laughs> I don't know much about Andrew Carnegie, but does that does that Our, line well, up? Andrew Carnegie was like a rags to riches Scottish immigrant who oh, shit. became the richest man in America, so there you go. Hortense had a temper like Scrooge when Matilda was mild-mannered when Scrooge established Duckburg. Scrooge, Scrooge made Duckburg? <sighs> when Scrooge established Duckburg, Calisota, United States as his home base, he started journeying the world trying to expand his financial empire and his sisters ran his business on the home front. Hortense met her bu- boyfriend Quackmore Duck, whom she married and they had a set of twins, Donald and Della. Donald is said to have inherited his mother's temper. So Scrooge's sister, wait, is Donald's mom. Can I can I just read this IMDb piece of trivia for a second? Yeah, go for it. Scrooge McDuck is the uncle of the famous Disney character Donald Duck. He was created by comic book artist Carl Banks in 1947. He's named after the miserly Ebenezer Scrooge, sure. Yeah. Um, Banks himself has said that Scrooge's character, though, is more based on Andrew Carnegie, who was born that- in Scotland, immigrated to the United States as a teenager, and became a rich industrialist and philanthropist. So, bam, you did it. That's that's why you go to school for history so you can know <laughs> about cartoon ducks.
Welcome to Freaks Chats. This is episode 10. My name is Alan, and I'm joined as always by my best friend Magellan. Oh, hey. Hello, friend. Hello, Hey, freak. that's the last time we'll, that you'll ever say that to me. Right. We won't be friends after this show, actually. So, yeah, we'll uh, be back to podcast colleagues. It's a very professional relationship, and uh, mm-hmm. we like to keep it all above the table. No touch. Uh, don't touch, if you know what I mean. Yep. People, if people are ever wondering, like, are, are Alan and Michelle referencing something when they keep saying, don't touch? We're not. It's just a funny voice. I don't think it comes from anything. I am. Gl- I never knew if we were referencing something or not, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> you just went years assuming it, like, oh, I guess we're doing this now. I don't know. You've just said it so much for so long that I assumed I was ignorant of something. No, I think I've heard it somewhere before, but I don't know where it originally came from, so I just say it a lot. It's fun to say. Well, you've, you've um, made it your own. Yes, exactly. Uh, we've made it our own here on Freaks Chats, the podcast about freaks and geeks, and uh, and the geeks and freaks that listen to it and watch it. This week, we watched the final two episodes of this show, this, this humble one-season show. The last two episodes were called The Little Things and Discos and Dragons. The Little Things was directed by Jake Kasdan, written by John Kasdan, with story credits from Judd Apatow and Mike White, and it aired July 8th, 2000. This is like a summertime. Summertime and feeling fine, you know? Yeah. I've got that summertime. These are my Uh, two favorite songs. Just top two period ever? Yeah, top two period ever. My favorite VH1 show. <laughs> Welcome back to Pop 2 Period Ever. I'm D- Doug Benson. <laughs> this week we're talking about the dot com crisis here on dot com period forever. <laughs> I'm Daniel Tosh. His <laughs> his like subheader says like comedian slash uh, <laughs> asshole <laughs> or like comedian slash pundit whatever. Yeah. Uh, the little things uh, was quite a good episode. I thought it was surprisingly fun and explored a lot of the character stuff that we didn't get up until now and tackled a couple of topics really well and then a couple of topics it kind of just like tiptoed right over yeah like says the stuff but then doesn't have to say anything about the stuff but i liked it this is actually just a little bit of background this is like the closest time between watching the episodes and recording that we are getting um at least on freaks chats because we just watched them like two less than two hours ago. Uh, yeah. I was my second viewing and John's first viewing, uh, at least of this podcast. And uh, the little things is a fun. It's just fun. What did you think of it, man? Yeah, I, this is something I said to you when we were was well, the very end, which is it feels like a safe episode um, in the sense that there are some things that they're lining up to pay lip service to, but ultimately they're not grappling with the issues at hand namely the politics of conservatism and liberalism during this time the politics of gender at play here um they're setting these things up to say like we did an episode about it but then ultimately there isn't any sort of challenging revelations around those topics it's just sort of like you set it up you do something and then the episode ends kaput uh and there's a lot going on but it doesn't feel bogged down it's like it's got a couple of key plots because we start um with uh i believe it's sam and he's dealing with cindy problems because well actually we get a previously on 
which is kind of corny because it's like previously on uh, Freaks and Geeks, all of the uh, lovable, charming dudes uh, got to date the love of their lives <laughs> and they all kissed. And uh, and then we cut to Sam. And he's like, oh, man, like sitting at the lunch table with Cindy um, and they're talking. Wait, is that the scene? Is that the first scene, man? Am I crazy? I think no, you're crazy. no. The first scene is the dinner. Yep. The first scene is where they're all sitting at the it's the Weir family, and also Cindy is there, and uh, they're talking about the big thing that's happening this week, which is uh, Vice President of the United States George Bush is uh, coming to visit McKinley High School and do a little bit of a chit chat. Not just any George Bush, George H W Bush. I didn't want to put the initials in there because I forgot which Bush has which initials. Is it just George W for the junior and George H W for the senior? Yep. Easy enough. Dad kept uh, the H for himself. <laughs> and kept the, and then I insert a political joke here, but. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Research. Right, I have to learn things and that's hard. Uh, so they're all excited, or at least Mr. Weir is really excited. And he's like, wow, cool. Republican's going to come to the school. And he's like, Lindsay, aren't you excited? And she's like, no. And he's like, why? And she's like, because I'm a Democrat. Why would I want to talk to this dumb Republican? Like, I wouldn't have voted for Reagan uh, if uh, if I could vote, uh, let alone talk to his dumb lackey. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I think we also find out in the scene that uh, Cindy is part of the student, like, Republican society, um, which is great because we get a lot of good scenes in this episode of, of Cindy being, like, a staunch Republican. Mm. 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 she's mm. the leader of the young republicans or whatever yeah which means like i just doesn't that stuff all feel like her parents taught her like were really political and they like forced it on her and it's just like sounds like she's parroting their rhetoric a little bit yep it's like very yeah. naive politics um yeah which we get here and there but in this scene i, I mean i i think every every young person's politics are naive in this episode cindy is parroting oh, yeah. her parents Lindsay is specifically contradicting her parents and admiring like the grungy, cool hippie man who's kind of hot. Fine. We said it. We're saying it. Very happy about it. Mr. Rosso gets his day in the sun. Um, Sam is just like, oh, I don't know. Every- everything's okay. I know I like Steve Martin. Yeah, he's he should be my president. <laughs> um, the actor? Yes. Yes, the actor, Steve Thank Martin, you. the actor. Um, yeah, I, I, so I think, yes, Cindy is definitely spitting back things that her parents are probably saying. And uh, it seems like she's living a life based on what we saw when Bill was her lab partner of her house and her snacks or whatever. Uh, it seems like she's living a life that is, uh, at least what the show wants to show us, it, it's very kind of rigid and structured and conservative. And boring, as Sam starts to realize. Um, but just before we go, we cut from the cold open to the like last line is Mr. Weir saying, you know, everybody's a Democrat until they get a little money. Then they come to their senses, which mm, everybody has a person in their life that has said that before. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. They live in my house with me. <laughs> it's yep. It's, you know, we all know who we're talking about. It's the fam. <laughs> um, yeah, I've even heard that before from like younger people. Uh, and so we, we get that whole like older people want to talk about republicanism and then there's like younger democrats and younger republicans there's actually like a decent amount of politics in this episode um just like lips like just like mentioned it isn't like they have like intense debates or anything they try to like at the lunch table 
uh, and, sh- <laughs> and at the movie theater and all that stuff. But we'll get to all of that. This was the episode where I realized that we're not going to get to hear this great theme song in context for very much longer, um, which made me sad. Uh, I was like, oh, fwee fwee. Uh, and then Ken is all like, oh, yeah. So then we get to the Ken stuff, which um, is going to take a little bit of handling for us to discuss a little bit of work. Uh, but he's really in love with Amy. He's just so happy to be with Amy. She's great. I love you. You're like, wow, they're teens saying they love each other. That's great. I'm so happy for them. And then uh, later, just because this, this episode is directed in a way that's like every every like plot gets like two minutes and then we cut away like in the middle of the scene to another scene. Uh, this episode and Discos and Dragons do that a lot where it's like no scene finishes. Mm-hmm. They all They all are like happening at the same time, which keeps the episode feeling really fast paced, but like makes it weird to discuss because you get like two seconds of everything before they actually happen. So we get some Ken stuff right. and, and then we're in the cafeteria and we get that brief scene where uh, Sam is sitting at the cool kids lunch table. Oh my God, it's, it's a funny scene. It's like fantastic scene. Todd actually gets to speak uh, and they're talking about how the cheerleaders at the other high school aren't attractive. He's like, at least they aren't like ugly like our cheerleaders. And then Cindy's like, shut up, Todd. He's like, I wasn't talking about you. Girl who just broke up with me. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, Sam, defend me, which is a yellow flag. (laughs) That like expectation of like, and then Sam just does the perfect Sam thing of like, he didn't say, he said he wasn't talking about you. (laughs) Logically, Uh, this makes sense. I have misgivings about where we ended up with Cindy's character. Um, because it's so fra- I mean we talked last time about how it's so fraught with this idea of if you wait around long enough and you're a good enough guy the thing that you deserve is going to happen yeah right and then on top of that this is sending this message of like ugh, girls have th- such chauvinistic worldviews and they're imposing these things on us like we have to buy them stuff and we have to be like chivalrous gentlemen and isn't that bullshit guys like ugh, women well because because that scene even ends with like all of the guys being like yeah todd you should fight sam sam fight todd and you're like fight for her honor or whatever it's just yeah. very like oh is this what we're supposed to do is this how we fit into what women want i guess okay yeah buy her some gifts buy her presents ask her on a real date like a real gentleman uh and I guess you could argue that there are other female characters in the show who don't have those expectations, but yeah, I don't know. They they just didn't like counterweight it heavily in this episode in particular. So it, to me, it it came off as um as like very single minded, right? Um, and and like you said, no counterweight. Like, there's no woman that's like clearly not asking a lot out of a guy in this. Like, I think Kim and Lindsay are good counters to that type of character that Cindy is. Yeah. Because they are both, like, trying to be at equal level with the men, the men in their lives. But um, I digress. I think the Cindy stuff goes into a, lo- a lot of places related to what you're talking about in this episode. Um, but the first major revelation of the episode chronologically is from the scene where Ken is at Amy's house, I guess. And they're sitting on the bed. And they're having a very good couple's moment of, like, uh, Ken tells amy a thing that i did not pay attention to the first time i watched this episode which is like 
she goes how are you such a nice boy if your parents like are never around and they sound like they sound like they don't like you very much and they just kind of are absentee parents and he's like no they kind of like me i guess they gave me a babysitter her name was Catherine, uh and she was kind of my mom and she made me a good boy and you're like oh wow all right this is some character development that we're never going to see more of because the show didn't get a second season all right mm-hmm. Uh, and then Amy's like, all right, this is a two-way street. You give me something personal, I tell you something personal on just about the exact same level as what you're talking about. <laughs> Nothing else. Just, hey, man, I was born intersex. Uh, and then uh, I had both parts, and they, uh, my parents made the choice to pick my sex, and they had the doctor remove the other ones. But uh, I have this worry that those other parts are still in there somewhere. You're like, whoa, freaks and geeks. Whoa, okay. I I will say, I mean, the way that Amy was talking about it seemed very responsible. Yes. Like, it, it, I think you just said the word worry in kind of like a, a glib recap way. Um, but, she, like, she wasn't expressing any kind of worry about her own yeah. physical body. And I just like the thing that I respected is that she was very forward about, listen, there's a part of me that is male and that's just who I am. And I want you to know that that's me. That's the entirety of me as a person. The thing that she's worried about is how are you, Ken, going to interpret that? Don't freak out. And in the moment, he's like, huh, okay. And they kind of like fade to black on that scene or whatever. And a lot of fades to black with that whole amy and, and ken stuff um, very cool that ken i also like the fade the fades to black um but i just had this thought very cool that ken is the character who is the ve- vehicle of this plot right because i mean you know for the first half of the show ken was like sarcastic critical asshole and now he has this thing that he has to reckon with where it's like everything about you wants to say that this is weird, that this is wrong, that this is like so odd. You want to just, yeah, you want to break this person down or break this thing down or get away from it. But there's a part of you that like can't because you love her deal with it. I think that that's cool. I think that moments in this plot that we're definitely going to start talking about where he's doing that grappling are gross and are handled in a way that's not the coolest. But the fact that Ken has this plot speaks to the fact that this show was trying to give everybody a piece of the pie. Well, it's it's a thing that I've noticed like the second half of this show did, which is taking the characters that we've learned to like and understand how they fit into the roles that they've been assigned in the high school hierarchy. And then for them to go like, ah, this is useless i don't really want to be a part of this anymore like for daniel that was like seeming so confident in his identity but then realizing like when presented with someone other than him like the goth girl he suddenly is like i have no control over who i am and i'm like it's all a facade and i'm just we're all Mm -hmm. pretending Mm -hmm. uh who we are and for sam in this plot it's like the thing i wanted was uh a goal that i made up in my head and it's just a real as a real person has nothing to do with what i actually Mm -hmm. want what actually makes me Mm -hmm. happy um cindy gets that so or not cindy you go ahead you're saying that characters have moments where they have to reckon with their self-image because of their interactions with other people right it's it's like the fundamental way that people learn on this show hmm. and in life in a lot of ways because cool. ken ken yeah. is definitely the character who's like 
Uh, I am used to judging people, and I was used early on in the show as the comedic relief of like, haha, weirdo. He was like the Nelson from The Simpsons. Uh, (laughs) To point and laugh, and then then to be pushed into the background, and now he's like, oh, I need to be the one who's like thoughtful and listening now, because the like person that matters the most to me right now is like uh, completely different in my head, and I'm trying to grapple with that. And um, again, I think that stuff is handled really well. I think my pro- my main problem with the Ken stuff, other than sometimes it feels a little crass the way that people like respond to it, is that it is a story about instead of it being about Ken tackling like, oh, my girlfriend is was uh, born intersex. Instead, it's like Ken thinking he might be gay. Yep. Yep. Which is like, oh, you you you. Why did you? Why? How, is this how you got there? You could. I th- I almost think that that plot could have worked better if they just said like Ken or uh, Amy's a trans woman and was born a man and so now Ken is like wait but the person that I'm with was a man like has to like grow up a little bit and have that realization because it's like all it's just as heavy as as the whole intersex thing it is not more or less than that uh, yeah what do you think about that well I mean what you're talking about is something that is less safe for the show to do. Right. Because they're they're giving Amy this backstory where they can have Ken grapple with this sex and gender question, but be like, but yo, she's still a girl, guys. Like she's don't worry about that. Like she's totally a girl. We're not, you know, that's where we're at. It's just like, what if he like come on, what if there was like a little doubt? And Cause <laughs> it, it, like it, it, I'm not that that is a truth about her identity that she has to carry with her and grapple with and it is something that is complex for her but from a narrative standpoint it does feel very like we want to touch this genre of topics but we want to stay away from any controversial aspects of it right because at least making her be born intersex means that you can just have a woman character like play the thing and they don't have to like there doesn't have to be any trick to to casting or to the way that the character is played like she's still just a girl playing a girl uh whereas right. if it tackled it just, it, if it got yeah, any it feels less like safe, an arbitrary yeah it feels like an arbitrary detail that they're able to invent without it really having more implications than they want it to in this very contained plot yeah Um, Um, yeah. And then this, whatever. I mean, there is an argument to be made that Ken reacting as if he's thinking that he's gay is not, the show's not condoning his reaction. It, in fact, it's showing the absurdity of gender politics at the time and sexuality politics at the time that his gut reaction is to be so, so incredibly fearful of being homosexual um or being not straight not right. completely straight mm-hmm. um and you can see that enacted in his conversation with Rosso where Rosso has his one nadir like his one low moment in his otherwise immaculate career on this show <laughs> um where you know Ken goes to talk to him and he's like Rosso I want to talk to you believe it or not because I think I might be gay. And Ross is like, oh, okay, cool, man. Totally. I'm a hippie. I Like, I get it. Things are all cool. And Ken's like, yeah, I want to talk to you because, like, you're gay. And Ross is like, I'm not gay. What? What? Uh, and it's like, ooh. 
that's accurate to the times. It really is. I think Um, that's what's going on here. So I'm, I'm willing to forgive it to a certain extent because I think it is trying to represent the way that people would have acted. But at the same time, the safeness of it bothers me. Right. Because because what it ends up being is Ken explores by talking to all of his friends and the important voices in his life. He goes to Rosso and says, I might be gay. And Rosso says, I'm not. I don't know why you came to me thinking that, but we can talk about it. And then Ken straight up has that great moment where he's like, oh, no, we can't actually talk about it. <laughs> we can no longer have the conversation I was going to have with you. Yeah, you acted weird and we're done here. Yes. And then uh really well shot scene where he's sitting with uh, Nick and Daniel on like couches and on the floor at someone's house. And he's like, guys, you were like my best friends. Can I tell you something? And they're like, sure, man, of course. And he's like, so Amy was born with a gun and a holster. That makes, again, makes sense as like a bunch of 17 year old boys explaining sex to each other. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, it just feels weird. Um, And then I guess they're both like, well, does she still have a gun? And he's like, no, 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 it's not like that. Like, she's a girl. Is that okay? Like, what do I do? Is that weird? And then Daniel's like, nah, man, you got to break it off. (laughs) Like, oh, all right. I guess Daniel's just a huge bigot. All right. I'm not shocked. I'm not stunned, but I'm a little bit sad. Uh, But, I mean, he changes a lot over the course of this episode. And uh, Nick kind of just reacts nonplussed. He's like, all right, well, that's, that's weird, I guess. And uh, so that's what happens there. And then we progress later to a scene that looks like it's something out of like a deleted scene from the movie Footloose because they are like (laughs) outside of a barn at like midnight next to a sports, like a, like a convertible. Yeah. (laughs) And they're all just like hanging out being teens. And uh, Ken comes by and brings Amy. And then (gasps) Daniel goes, Hey guys, which <laughs> I was like yelling at like when during that scene, I was like, no, wait, there's no non, they don't know how to use non-gendered words. Like, oh God, everyone says dudes and guys in the world now. <laughs> uh, and uh, Ken's like, what the fuck, man? And uh, Daniel's like, no, no, I didn't mean it like that. And Ken punches Daniel in the face hard, like knocks him on his ass. Yeah. Uh, and we almost get a cool world star moment where everyone's like, yo, what the fuck? Whoa. And they're like going to get in a fight, but I actually really like the way that that scene like finishes out, which is Amy realizes, Amy realizes what's happening, says, Oh my God, runs away. And then Ken leaves to chase after her. And then Daniel and, uh, and, um, and Nick are both like, Oh, what the fuck? And the girls are just completely confused by this whole plot. Like they are just not involved. And they're just like, no, don't worry about it. It's not about you. Whatever. We're leaving. Fuck it. Mm -hmm. And like the next scene is, going back to Lindsay and uh, and Sam and they're at home and they have like a really touching sibling moment that's cat that started with like hey Lindsay why are you home and then she's like oh, I'm like she looks sad and he's like why are you sad and she's like all oh, my friends are punching each other in the face <laughs> it's just so like it reminds you that so many like of the people in your life have like pretty really complex lives outside of the big moments that you see like you might like see a fight happen in school and be like that was weird and then you like look into it and realize like how much shit was going on in the background uh i think that's like a cool thing that freaks and geeks does a lot is it reminds us that like the people that are characters in our lives also have 
some shit going on that that leads to them being characters like that. They're not always they weren't just like born crazy and weird and doing like crazy stuff like punching each other in the face. Like that came from somewhere. Um and then we get actually a quite a quite fun scene uh which is Ken is trying to reconcile his sexuality <laughs> by mm. listening to music. Uh yeah. yeah, I I uh I thought the scene was funny, I'll admit. Um I think when it comes to this plot, there are scenes that are funny and entertaining in a ch- like a charming, innocent, of course a teenage boy would do that sort of way, but are engaging with the safe and incorrect angle of this plot. So this scene, the Rosso scene, the scene where they're at their slumber party, um, they're all kind of engaging with the side of like, whoa, what if I'm gay which is gross um but if you are willing to live with that for a minute i think that this the music listening scene is very funny him having the nudie mags is like a step too far into like okay you're you're driving the point home i get it whereas him punching daniel in the face is a legit scene like that i think is the way to do it because it directly addresses the t- the real topic at hand and it felt true to ken as a character as somebody who's like trying very hard to be restrained but has a lot of inner turmoil that's just going to burst out and so to me like the real scenes of this plot are that scene and his reconciliation with amy at the end and then all yeah. this other stuff is kind of like fun sitcom sketches of like the episode where seth rogan's character thinks he's gay right Right, right, right. And I think ultimately what, what makes a lot of this plot work is that it's not, like, they don't have time to overthink it and to really dig into it because there are technically three plots going on in this episode. True. Um, three, like, big ones, which is great because, and I think this is why I like this episode so much, is it all, and Discos and Dragons does this in a different way, but they, they like, center around a moment that they're trying to all get to, which is all three of these plots are getting to we're going to go be at the school when George Bush is there. And the Ken plot concludes there, the Sam plot concludes there, and the Lindsay plot concludes there, all at the same exact mm-hmm. time. So we're going to get to the Ken stuff. Basically, he listens to some music. He listens to some Bowie, listens to some metal, going back and forth, looks at the Nudie Mags, and he's like, maybe I am gay. Maybe that's just, I don't know. I don't know what I am. A little bit of Linda Clifford, good stuff. And then uh, that's kind of where we pause on Ken. We also forgot to mention like when he leaves the barnyard footloose scene uh like daniel picks him up uh when he's walking home and they have that really Mm -hmm. nice like look where he's just like hey man get in i'll take you there and it's kind of like a good friend understanding moment that doesn't require a lot of dialogue that's really nice yeah but we got to take the other plots to that point before we get to the climax i think they all climax nicely so sam's plot is my girlfriend's boring i want to break up with her because Lindsay. It's really cool that he bases his, like, big life decision on what his older sister told him. Uh, yeah. I think that's, like, a great thing that you can do when you have cool older siblings uh, that can, like, inspire you in little ways and, like, just say a little thing that makes you, like, completely change the way you approach a situation. Because um, she's like, oh, just because she is pretty and you're expected to like her and think she's attractive or, as Neil says over and over again, she's a, a goddess. goddess. Oh, my God, Neil. Oh, my God. Neil, when did you become Yuck. the villain of this show? <laughs> Yuck. Um, because he, because 
Sam, similar to Ken, tries to, like, go seek out help from different people. And Lindsay's the only one who's like, if you don't like the stuff that she likes, if you all don't get along with those stuff, don't date her. Do not. (laughs) (laughs) Just break it the fuck off because you'll be trapped in that forever. Whereas Neil gives him the exact opposite advice uh, and says, like, she's perfect. And if you left her and you dated some ugly woman and married an ugly woman and had ugly kids, wouldn't you feel miserable to the end of your days? And it's like, oh, my God, Neil. Yeah, well, because there's this male narrative of, like, you're supposed to like her. Yeah, and something's wrong with you if you don't like. Yeah, something's wrong with you. You're supposed to want to kiss her or whatever because she's a goddess. Because she's hot, man. Even Ken says she's hot. Which is gross. (laughs) Yuck. Uh, (laughs) Ken's, like, three years older than her. Taking a quick Neil detour for a second. We talked about this, which is, like... uh, Neil's characterization is just, uh, it's a, just a black box. It's just like, it's, yeah. It's like Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> he can be like the good friend and the shitty friend. And it's only anything definitively when you look at him in a given scene. It's just hard shifts. Like in the same episode, he yeah. goes like, Dan, or not Dan, geez. Uh, Sam, you're like terrible if you want to break <laughs> up with him. Damn, Samuel. Damn, Samuel. <laughs> Back at it again with the boring girlfriend, with the goddess girlfriend. And he's like, you're bad if you want to break up with her. I'll take her. Pass her on to me or something like that. <laughs> barf, barf, barf city. Uh, and then we get this awesome scene where uh, he's like, oh, I want to take her on a date. She's like, oh, how chivalrous of you. And he takes her to see The Jerk, uh, a movie I've heard is amazing that I still haven't seen. Uh, the Steve Martin film. And they're in the theater. So, excuse me. He's all excited to see the movie and to see with his girlfriend she's gonna love it super romantic we're all kissing and getting popcorn oh oh no oh she doesn't like this movie at all what does she say he's he's such a why is he so old he's an old guy with white hair acting like a five-year-old and you're like yeah that sounds hilarious i think she calls him old but she says that he has gray gray hair and acts like a seven-year-old or something like that yeah yeah and you're like that actually sounds really funny cindy i don't know why that doesn't appeal to you (laughs) like an old guy acting (laughs) like a kid's good um so she's like super bummed out. And then before the film also, Sam uh, gives her a gift because another chivalrous male thing to do is to give a woman a gift. And uh, Jean gave it to him. Precious, precious Jean scene where she's mm. like, Sam, I'm going to give you this thing because I know it's going to help you out. Uh, this is a an heirloom. This is an heirloom amulet from uh, my grandmother who died and gave this to her mom. And she gave it to me and it's been in the family forever. And uh, I want you to give it to Cindy. I think she's going to love it. He's like, oh, mom, I want you to give it to this 14-year-old that you've been dating for a week. For a week, yes. (laughs) Uh, Give it, like, save it for the wedding, I'm your wise, loving mother. I want you to give this to a 14-year-old girl you've been dating for a week. That's that's what I mean by I'm like pure precious genius. She's just so misguided. It's, like, really nice of a gesture, but, like... It's de- it's doomed to fail the second that happens. She prob to be honest, she probably knows that like this isn't either last. it'll go fine or it won't go fine, and they'll get it back, and he can give it to somebody else. I'm yeah yeah, but it's but like <laughs> Sam f- should have the red flag should have gone up in Sam's mind, but it did not because he gives it to her. He's like, I got you this thing, and then her first line. Actually, no, no, we really need to still talk about the first thing she says when they're in the mm-hmm. movie theater, which yeah. is. <laughs> The thing that sucks about Democrats is that they all want handouts and Republicans are better because they don't need, they are in poor, no, it's poor people want handouts. And that's what Democrats want is for poor people to get handouts. 
Yeah, we shouldn't give <laughs> them handouts. We should give them jobs. We should give them jobs so they can work. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Just very, very, like, 80s conservative, too. Yeah. Cindy probably believes in trickle-down economics. <laughs> yeah, probably. And then he pull, hits her with the perfect zinger, the most unappreciated zinger. He's like, ah, oh, speaking of handouts, <laughs> here's this precious... <laughs> both died <laughs> so speaking funny. of handouts well because we also read that line as like speaking of handouts and then there was gonna be a sex thing <laughs> speaking of hand jobs yeah speaking of hand jobs which is the sound effect that hand jobs do uh it's what they do sound of the pianta from mario baseball <laughs> yeah mario superstar baseball from the gamecube go yep. pop that old chestnut into the whirly gig and try it out <laughs> <laughs> he gives her the heirloom and she's like oh how much did this cost and he's like i don't know <laughs> a lot it's an heirloom it's an heirloom it's a countdown all of your characters <laughs> it was I it was free for me and she's like oh thank you and he's like you're gonna put it on and she's like no no it's cold it's i don't want to put metal on in a movie theater <laughs> means i'm going to put in my purse and then hope it falls out <laughs> and uh he notices that she's not liking the movie and she's like this sucks and then he's bummed out and he's trying to watch the movie and then that gets them to the george bush stuff uh where he is in the bathroom with ken and those two plots squish into each other. And we finally get the coolest, like, freaks meet geeks moment since for up to now. Only outclassed by the final episode where Ken uh, hears Sam puking in the bathroom. He's like, you're nervous about meeting George Bush? And he's like, no, I'm going to break up with Cindy Sanders. Ken's like, why? She's so hot. Ugh, <laughs> Ken. She's hot. And he's like, she doesn't like anything I like. She didn't like the jerk. And then Ken's like, really? My girlfriend loved the jerk, but I'm going to break up with her, too. Uh, but it's complicated. I'm not going to explain sex and gender to you, Samuel. <laughs> and then Sam is the one that teaches Ken the like life lesson, which is like, if she likes the thing that you liked and, and she's a she's a girl you like, then just keep it going. Like, that'll work. You can just make that work. Nothing else matters, right? Like, if she likes you, she likes you. And Ken's like, huh, I guess sex is a sex. <laughs> sexuality is a myth. And we're all just fucking what we want to fuck. That's all it is, right? Hmm. And uh, a lovely scene where uh, Ken meets up with Amy right before she goes out to perform Hail to the Chief for President Bush. And uh, he hugs her and says, I'm sorry. None of that matters to me. I love you. I'm sorry. You're the best. Everything is going to be fine. And then, yay, going for the hug. And Majan says, is he going to bump into the tuba that she's holding? Boink! Immediately bumps into the tuba. Like clock. There's a lot of like perfectly timed. Is Are they going to do this? Yes. Uh, yes they do in that. these episodes. Yeah. And uh, it's nice. Uh, Sam was giving the advice that Lindsay gave him, but kind of the complimentary piece of it. That's true. He's actually learning and giving the advice, which is fun and cyclical because, like, couldn't Lindsay have just given Ken that advice if she was informed of anything that her friends are doing? Right. Right. That's, before she yeah, goes. If these boys had just talked to Lindsay, they could, she could have set him straight. If you told Lindsay that, she'd be so happy. <laughs> like, don't tell Lindsay that. That'll make her ego inflate. Well, um, I partly said it because part of me hopes that Lindsay's a real person, but I know that she's not. There's probably basically a Lindsay out there somewhere. Yeah, well, well maybe okay. someday. Maybe some way you can... <laughs> I'm going to make a joke with John. Here comes a joke. Maybe yeah. someday you can, ma you can, you can also date someone cool. And then 
<laughs> former Freaks Chat or for, uh, friend of the podcast and <laughs> girlfriend of, of the co-host of the podcast, Jessia, pops out of a John's pocket and goes, it's me! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> and then She's listening right now. Hi! Hello! Yeah. We should hang out soon. Come to come back here and we'll hang out and we'll party. Yeah. It'll be great. Yay. Uh yeah, so while Ken is going off hugging the tuba, um, which is my euphemism for when you hug a tuba, um <laughs> Sam is breaking up with his girlfriend. And there isn't much to say about that scene other than she gives him the amulet back and the amulet, sorry, the necklace. <laughs> the amulet. <laughs> and that that a whole scene concludes with him saying, like why do you want this to keep going? I'm not having fun. Are you having fun? And she has that like quiet reserved no. You're like, yeah, this isn't this this wasn't gonna work. She knew it wasn't gonna work. She says, I'm only dating you because you're nice and I deserve to date a nice guy. And it's like, oh perfect. This doesn't work for either of us. Great. No one has to feel bad. Alright, bye-bye. Wrap that up real nice. Um, and then he turns around, his friends are like, Man, you did the right thing. We support you hundred percent. And it's like, fuck you, Neil. <laughs> you don't get Remember to do all that. that. Shitty stuff I said before. I was just lying. <laughs> I was just lying to your face, and maybe I am now. Ugh. Neil. Neil. <laughs> um, <laughs> Metal Gear. Metal Gear. <laughs> Solid rap, dude. Good work. Thanks, thanks, Metal Gear. Uh, and so that's that's where those two plots end up. And then finally, the whole Lindsay Ross of stuff. We can actually tackle pretty quickly, even though it's really great. Um, Lindsay is offered a chance to ask President Bush one of the anonymous like not they're supposed to be like informal questions but they were as the we learn they were all vetted and like pre-checked before asking mm-hmm. um and she wanted to she had like all these questions she wanted to ask and she has a good scene where kim is like asking about roswell and the aliens ha 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 and uh she finally picks a good complicated question gives it to rosso because he says she has potential which i like it when adults tell kids they have potential but it's also like mm-hmm. kind of unfair to make him be like, you're going to be amazing someday, Lindsay. You have to be perfect. You're going to be the best right. kid. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, nobody can live up to those expectations. Well, it's but, also, it's a it's a very, um, what's that word where you're trying to live through someone? Vicarious. It's a vicarious thing. True. Which, like, the next scene or whatever, when he's outside in the parking lot, trying to break into his own car because he left his keys inside, immediately breaks that whole thing down. And we get like the best Rosso scene ever mm-hmm. where he's like, they rejected your question. I'm mad. They didn't listen. They never listen. They didn't listen when I protested in the 60s and they're not listening now. They ended the we We protested them to end the war. They ended it when they felt like it. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. and now all of my friends are working with nice suits and working for the government. And I'm here lo- losing my keys to my mom's car in this <laughs> parking lot of a high school. And you're like, <laughs> Rosso, just unraveling in front of us. And. Lindsay gets to pull a Lindsay, use her uh, her daily racial cooldown or whatever, which is she gets to be the, the white knight. <laughs> she once an episode, Lindsay gets to save someone by being like, are you just going to give up? And as soon as she says that, they magically don't give up. Um, and he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then the next scene that we see with them is uh, Rosso's like in the school getting ready to go into the meeting also ben stiller's here let's just not let's not forget that ben stiller's in this episode yay the shittiest cameo ever yeah not not great it's just it's not terrible it's a waste of the episode's time like there's already so much going on and then they're also like camera lingering on him and how short he is 
It's like it's been stiller, man. It's okay. Was he, I, this was his time? I get it. It's like the late nineties, and Ben Stiller was like a thing. But like, okay, it's, it's not like a funny part. He's supposed to be a secret service agent, and like any funniness that you give to him just makes him feel unrealistic. Right, because up until the last moment, he's entirely serious. He's like, please step aside, uh, and like, hey, check out this weird Doctor Feel Good looking guy, and they're like yellow flagging Doctor or Doctor Mister Rosso. And then when he finally tries to go in with his cool ponytail into the into the assembly, they're like, nope, you have been flagged and you're not allowed to go in because in your youth, you were part of a group that was going to try to, like, change America. They're like, are you a part of the, like, Washington University Society for a New America? And he's like, no, but I think I'm on their mailing list. And they're like, fuck, <laughs> fuck off, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then immediately, Lindsay and her parents come by. And I kept wanting them to be like, oh, Rosso, we're going to, like, take over the, pre- we're going to, like, take down the president, right? <laughs> like, anarchy starts right there. <laughs> but, uh, no, he gets taken away to his own, like, guidance counseling room. And it's just him and Ben Stiller. And that is the whole point of all of that stuff is just so, A, Rosso isn't in the room where it happens. And, B, so that we get Ben Stiller asking for uh, psychiatric advice from a high school guidance counselor, mm. which all of it, all it leads to is that he takes an aptitude test and he goes, huh, uh, do I like working with appliances? That's a definite yes. That's the whole joke. I know. <laughs> whole... yeah. um, but Lindsay gets in and uh, after some convincing from her parents, she decides to wear an A1 Sporting Goods t-shirt when she asks her question and plug the store. So she says, hello, I'm Lindsay Weir. Uh, my dad owns A1 Sporting Goods on the corner of 12 Mile. And uh, and then her question is supposed to be like, what's the best, what's your favorite place to eat in Michigan? And you're like, mm-hmm. oh man, she's going to ask the boring question. <gasps> and she says, why did your people reject my question? And don't you believe in like a healthy dif- civil discourse with you and the people? And you're like, hey, good mm-hmm. shit. Okay, All right. Okay. See and what Ross, he says to this one. Yeah. What's, what's the shoulder of George Bush invisible cameo uh, going to say to that? Rosso smiles at the microphone at the speaker and goes, "Yeah, that's my friend. That's my girl. Good job." Nope, that's the end of the episode. Again, very safe. So safe. Just talk. Just answer it. Just answer it. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. That's the end of the, that's the end of that episode of Freaking yeah, Geeks. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to say before we moved on. I'm sorry this one went on long. I guess this is our last episode, so we can stretch it. We uh, can just indulge. We can just indulge like chocolate. Uh, <laughs> I liked how everybody made and invested some small part of themselves into this whole assembly. Like Cindy and her friends worked on mm. the sign. She did the introduction. Uh, Amy did the band stuff and did Hail to the Chief. Uh, and then Lindsay asked a question. Like they all like, it's like a cool like small town coming together for a big event kind of thing. Yeah. Even though it is the vice president. It's a big it's deal still- though. I mean, I'm like what if Joe Biden came to our high school? Right, Vice President Joe Biden. If he came to our high school, I would fucking try to hug him and squeeze him tight and tell him to never leave. Don't leave. Don't leave, Joe. Don't leave. Diamond Joe. Diamond Joe Biden. I I knew back in the day when we used to talk about Diamond Joe. (laughs) Flashback to 1920. Hey, you know Diamond Joe. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We can't do bits. This is Freaks Chats. It's not Bit Chats. We'll be right back. Hello, Freaks Chats listeners. This is Alan bringing you the very final mailbox segment. It is the feedback segment of Freaks Chats. It's where we uh, take our baseball bats and we knock over some mailboxes and we express who we truly are by being rebels. 
And uh, realistically, it's us reading the comments that we get every week on social media. And uh, we love doing it. We have an awesome fan base. Um, and this is, you know, the end of another journey. Uh, but it's not the end of us. Of course, we are coming in hopefully just next week with our next show. We have no plans of stopping. And yeah, I'm going to be reading the tweets first as usual. And then I'm going to read our final Dax email. And I'm going to send us off into the sun with Alan Magellan's discussion of the final episode. So let's get right into it. Over on Twitter, Angela Scrangela says, regarding the little things, Cindy's over for dinner. What happened at the party? How did Sam get her to back off? Unanswered questions. I, this show does a thing a lot of times, and we like talked about it early on also, where they don't like end on the most satisfying notes very often. They kind of just end, and then you can just fill in the blanks of what goes from there. Uh, which I think is a fine method of storytelling. It just sometimes leaves you looking at the next week's episode like, why, why did, how did, why did any of that happen? I'm so confused. All right. She moves on to say, I'm not liking what we're finding out about Cindy. I feel like she's a little psycho. Hashtag bunny boiler. Uh, it's more just that she's a Republican, I think. Um, whoa, tuba girl dropped a bomb. Let's see how Ken deals with it. I predict they'll actually be chill. Uh, it took quite a lot to get there, Angela. But yes, um, it turned out that our boy Ken... It's pretty accepting all along. Uh, Zoolander cameo? Ugh. <laughs> I like that you agree with us on this. That Ben Stiller cameo felt really awkward. Uh, Sam really wants a traditional date. He is a romantic, and I dig that. That is one of the things that makes Sam's actions in this episode kind of feel okay. Is At least early on, it's like him trying to make the relationship work is blaming himself and thinking, oh, if I do these things and try to make it like I'm a good chivalrous boy then this relationship will feel more right. And he tries that, and Cindy hates it, and that's where he kind of realizes things are not meant to be. Has Harris's hair always been that beautiful? I have hair envy, seriously. Oh, man, especially in the second episode, Harris just... That Harris hair. I really wish I could find some old pictures of Magellan in high school, because it really did kind of look like that. It was, it was something special. Um, Sam giving Cindy the arrow necklace seems like a bad idea. Good catch. When she was born, she was packing both a gun and a holster. SMH, Ken. Yeah. Yeah. That language is bad. Um, I like Rosso more and more. It doesn't matter your politics. If you get a chance to meet the VP, meet the VP. Yeah, this was such a highlight episode for Rosso. It's kind of like... It's so good. Um, Cindy does like the necklace or the jerk. Sam needs to dump her. A Ken good prediction. That was a really nice talk between Ken and Sam. I'm glad Ken realizes what a good girlfriend he's got. Yeah, I think that Ken and Sam moment is just like perfect. We didn't test. Check out these two characters who I've never met before crossing the barrier of freaking geek uh, to just hang out together. Um, Ken hugged Amy and her tuba. That's love. Uh, which is funny. And then I am really not impressed with Ben Stiller in this. Drawing attention away from real stories is a waste of time. You are correct, Angela. And then moving on. To discuss the finale, Discos and Dragons. I love Mr. Flex talk about jocks versus geeks. I do too. I think, and we talk. We're gonna talk about this plenty. The scene, but um, that that moment is like charming and funny, but also that's like an old guy telling the kids that they're gonna be successful someday just because the and the jocks are gonna fail. And we kind of came to a point of like, that's not very productive to tell kids that they're gonna succeed just and like the geeks will rule the earth. That's a very like 80s and 90s way of thinking. Lindsay had her own weird face when she heard about the academic summit, which 
I did point, think about when I saw that scene after reading this comment because you watched these episodes before we did for this for once um, just because we were falling behind this week and uh, yeah it's not the weird face that I chose um, but it is a good weird face for sure Daniel in the AV Club, What's Ross's Point? We, we discussed this. First time I saw Lizzie Kaplan was on Smallville. She played a psycho stalker. She's always that in my mind now. I really like thinking about Sarah, the character, as a former like psycho stalker in Smallville, Kansas. I really like how this one's turning out. Disco and D&D are cool. Daniel the Freak is becoming a geek. See, you're thinking about it the way that the kids think about it, though. It's more just like we're just doing a thing together. None of us are becoming anything. Um, but it's not like... It's not bad that he's doing a nerdy thing. It's just that we're realizing that the terms like nerdy, like freak and geek mean nothing in the world where people just like things. Um, did you guys ever play D&D? My parents wouldn't let me. I never really wanted to, but this episode makes it look fun. It really does, Angela. I agree 100%. Uh, that Disco Dragon scene was so, maybe so envious to be playing it. Um, okay, this is something we talk about in the discussion, but Majan and I... Uh, and a third friend of ours uh, did play D&D for like one very short session where Magellan DM'd and we like made some characters or whatever but we that was like many years ago and since then we're trying to get into another tabletop game that we can play like over Skype because we're not always in the same room and we made characters for that and uh, we're going to start that at some point I just it's just a matter of finding the time um, but we yeah we definitely super duper want to get into it that magician isn't dancing he's just doing magic disco music Agreed. Wow, that's it? No more Freaks and Geeks? Kind of feels like my best friend just moved away. I'm going to miss those crazy kids. That's a sweet sentiment. Um, It does feel like you're seeing real people for the last time. Especially because so many of them, like, go off places, like Lindsay and the whole way that ends. Uh, But I don't want to spoil it. Because maybe you watched only the first episode and you're waiting until, I don't know, wait until you watch the second one to listen to our second discussion so uh i'm gonna close out the mailbox by reading a very nice email from our friend dax static which was sent to us at chatspot at gmail.com greetings alan and magellan congrats on making it to the end of a second series i've been listening to more and more podcasts for about the past two years and have seen and heard quite a few that started out good and i thought they'd be around for a long time only to have them disappear so props to you two for staying consistent staying good and just staying keep saying to myself i gotta send an email to these casts and let them know what i think but after all this time you guys are the only ones that i write to i do tweet a few partially because i'm a lazy bastard but i do truly enjoy taking the time to keep up most others i listen to i'll download right away but i wait till i have four or five to binge whichever show you do next i'm in whether it's like farscape where i rewatch along or like freaks where i found a way to contribute because i'd seen it so many times before or if it's a new show i've never seen i am in that's so oh dax you're so nice thank you (laughs) i love that we've become someone's like standard that's really cool um it's just it's like here's the thing with podcasting is a it's really fun i recommend everyone try it and b uh getting consistent with it is the best feeling ever like hitting a good rhythm is it's like all we want out of this um and just to talk about television because it never stops being fun um but yeah, Freaks and Geeks, what a fun show. What an interesting show to discuss in the, in the modern context. And um, we're going to be announcing our next show at the end of this podcast. So uh, keep listening. And 
and uh, get ready for some new fun next week, a new adventure. Uh, but I'm not going to spoil it yet. I think that y'all are going to want to stick around and listen because it's a show I'm sure plenty of you watched, and but not all of you. Um, so we're definitely going to get some first-time listeners and uh, hopefully expanding this weird, nerdy fan base that we have cultivated. Um, so Dax closed out with uh, some trivia that I'll, I'll skim briefly. The Little Things commentary had Seth Rogen, who of course has his very distinguishable voice, along with Apatow, Mike White, and John Kasdan. The thing about those guys is they kind of sound the same, so I kept losing track of who was speaking. But a lot of it was them talking about writing in Hollywood and not too much interesting stuff, but this was the last episode film. Huh. It was nominated for a GLAAD award, but lost to Will and Grace. Oh, that's... Mm, I guess, because of the Amy stuff, sure. Um, Will and Grace probably deserved that more. Well, at least it's like a, a more of an openly queer show. Uh, but I've never, I've only watched a little bit of Will and Grace. I have watched some, but not a lot. Um, and coming up with this episode, Apatow saw a TV news short about ambiguous genitalia. And soon after, he heard an interview with a hermaphrodite on the radio and thought to himself, what if Ken found out his girlfriend once had a penis? I have heard mixed things about the use of the term hermaphrodite in the context of referring to people that have both male and female sexual organs. Um, most people have told me that the common, like, nice way to refer to it is just intersex. Like, it just means the same thing without having the, like, historical context of the word hermaphrodite. Um, but if it's a word people use, it's a word people use. I've been corrected plenty of times. Um, I'm going to keep saying intersex because it just makes more sense to me and it's uh, easier to pronounce also. And I... If, if any of that offends you, just let me know. You know, tell me, what are the right words? I love knowing what the right words for things are. He thought there had to be a way to talk about this stuff that would be sweet and truthful because it was the kind of idea that would always be done terribly, but if done right, it would be a way of reflecting an aspect of kids who are more on the fringe of larger issues to deal with, a.k.a. the freaks. I, I added that part again. Every writer on the staff didn't want to do it. <laughs> Most of the producers wanted to drop the idea. Apatow made Kazdan talk to an, a real-life intersex person so you could speak truthfully. That's great. White says he knew a girl in college who once made a de- documentary on these people and thought that she would be a great resource. He called her and she yelled at him saying it was a terrible idea and that he would just end up making fun of them. I don't... They, I think they actually don't... That's not the problem with the way they write it. They don't... The problem isn't that they're making fun of people with those uh, that are intersex. The problem is that this story ends up being about Ken being gay, not about Amy at all. Later, he was asked to speak at a listen conference on how gay people are depicted on TV. Part of a Dawson's Creek episode where a character comes out was shown first uh, to a lot of criticism about it being cliche, and then the scene this episode was shown when Ken gives the I just like you speech, and it silenced the room they were so impressed. Seth repeats that he was excited and intimidated to work with Jessica Campbell. When Ken leans in to kiss Amy and hits his head on the tuba, that was a real incident that he went with. (laughs) That's fantastic. And uh, that's, that's the stuff for that episode. Um... I didn't think it. I didn't, I'm not shocked that it was a little bit controversial in production, but um, again, they don't like push the envelope that hard. It's the '90s. They didn't really feel like they just wanted to pay lip service sometimes. It feels like. Um, regarding discos and dragons, it's based on Paul Feig himself entering a disco contest. Nice. In a weird side story, Apatow talks about him being in Vegas and running into Feig while writing the outline for this episode. Apatow says he was with a large group of people, strangely, which included Adam Sandler, Quentin Tarantino, and Carl Weathers, and they all went to see Rodney Dangerfield perform. What a cast. That's a heist movie I would watch. They had a feeling the show might be canceled, so Feig wrote this episode to be the end, knowing that he would wait to show it last. He wanted it to work as a series and season finale if they did get more. 
he says he doesn't didn't know anything about D&D, so fittingly enough, it was Lee Shepard who plays Harris, who helped everyone keep it authentic by teaching people by running games behind the scenes. And at one point, he even had James Franco really into it. That's exciting and awesome. Uh, the AV teacher, Mr. Fleck, was played by Steve Higgins, an old friend of Feig. He went on to write for SNL. Franco insisted on breaking the glass on the fire alarm himself and cut his hand while doing it. Mr. Casper was played by Dr. Ron Morasco, a real college professor who, da- who taught Linda Cardellini. He saw his headshot and recommended him for the show. Everyone praises Linda Cardellini for her scene here in The Grateful Dead for the first time. Yes! Thank you! Yes! To quote Sam Levine, I want to point out that Linda does one of the toughest things in the acting world to do, which is when you're in a scene alone by yourself with no one to talk to and all you can do is react to yourself. She sells this so unbelievably well. I That scene is, like, enchanting. I... I think about it a lot. It's a really impressive scene. Uh, when the show started in the pilot episode, Lindsay is down from having just lost her grandmother. Lin- uh, Linda Carlini says this is the moment the Lindsay character finally stops censoring herself and lets go of the grief. Feig talks about the time he did the disco t- contest pretty much the same way Nick did. He jokes that he thought he was good because when he looked at all the girls' faces, they had that blank stare that he interpreted as awe. Then he lost to a guy who did magic. That explains it. It seemed so random in the moment. Huh. And that is that. I must say, this is back to the back. Freaks and Geeks is one of my favorite shows. It seems to get better every time I watch it. I only have one complaint, and that is in the little things there was a scene that got cut out. It should have been left in. In the DVDs, Feek says it was cut because of all what's going on in the episode, it felt like it was too much info for the audience. I will send you a link via Twitter that has it. I won't spoil what's in it so you can judge it for yourself. It's the part when Ken talks to one of his teachers. Again, I just really wish it had been left in the show. Thank you, Dax. And uh, we, of course, will link to that deleted scene in the episode description. Um, and that does it, folks. That was a long one. That was the very last uh, mailbox. And we're going to have a new type of feedback segment. It'll, I mean, it'll probably just have a different name. And we'll be able to do different things with it uh, for the next show. So uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Alan and Majan right now for their discussion of the Freaks and Geeks series finale, Discos and Dragons. And we're back. The last episode of Freaks and Geeks is called Discos and Dragons. It is episode 18. It was written and directed by Paul Feig, and it aired July 8th, 2000. What a memorable episode. What a what a note to end on, man. I, yeah. I dug it a lot. I thought it went some amazing places that I desperately, desperately wished the show had gone a lot sooner. Um which was a bit of a bummer, but it was like, so it was just such a good payoff for a lot of things without like feeling like the end of a show. Cause it wasn't meant to be the end of the show. It was just the end of a one, of one season. So like they weren't trying to go big scale. They weren't trying to tell some Epic conclusion. It's just a quiet, like power, like, like there's a lot of weight to the last couple mm-hmm. of scenes that made me feel happy. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's rare that uh, shows that are cut off this early get a last episode that feels suitably final. And even though this doesn't wrap everything up or f- necessarily feel like it was trying to be a series finale, it does feel like it's closing the loop, right? In a way, which is really satisfying. I think it's it's the dragons part specifically. In a lot of ways, the way the ways that it blends with the disco's plot that make it feel final 
Um, so those are the, the two primary plots concern. Uh, the disco is referring to Nick and uh, his new girlfriend, Sarah, who's played wonderfully by Lizzie Kaplan, a very young Lizzie Kaplan. And uh, the episode starts with them in the disco, dancing to disco. Oh, yeah, it's the disco time. Ooh. Very sexy. The, the, the DJ of the disco is the guy that ran the clothing store in the mall. Um, And this disco is also in a bowling alley, so I just imagine this guy has like a two-minute commute between jobs, like between the bowling alley and the mall. Uh, no outfit change necessary. Uh-huh. And they're like, uh, we see some of the freaks it's like ken and daniel and Lindsay go in and they're like ah it's a yearly tradition we do this all the time and he's like this seems mean and then they go in and they go disco sucks and the guy running like the dj stops the music and uh they look inside and oh it's nick and it's lizzie kaplan (gasps) our friend nick does disco with a girl that he just somehow is dating now i guess (laughs) That's crazy. I don't give a damn about your bad reputation. I really liked the way that this episode started because it did just a little bit of a time jump. Yeah. But it's not telling us how much it was. And it doesn't feel like it jumped that far, but it jumped enough that Nick is now in this mysterious relationship that we didn't know about. Um and I think that that's really fun because this show doesn't have to be bound to any sort of continuity since it's just high school. Things could be a couple of days apart, a couple of weeks apart, months apart. It really doesn't make a difference in the grand scheme of things because the show feels like it's kind of, you know, the episodes are at sequence, but also everything. Every incident in the episodes feel like they could have happened throughout the entirety of high school. It feels sort of timeless and uh, gr- like longer scale and more mundane, I guess, in that way. And so it's nice to take advantage of this ability to move more fluidly through time. And that is the thing like with high school in general is it feels like four years that kind of smoosh together, um, which is why I'm okay with this show only getting one season is like, we would have just gotten more high school and then inevitably we would have like seen some college out of some people and like post high school, but no college life for other people. And it's like, no, if we kept it all located to just this high school time, then it does. It feels timeless. They can just jump forward a couple months, a couple mm-hmm. weeks and just be like, all right, well, Nick has a girlfriend now deal with it. And it's not Lindsay. And the whole conflict is like, is he dating Sarah? Because he wants to fill the hole left by Lindsay. Uh, and the answer is maybe. It's maybe? I think the answer, I mean, the answer is yes, <laughs> but also Sarah's cool. Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think, I think people have this myth about the idea of like a rebound person. Yeah. And that can be true that you might be more inclined to seek out companionship when you're on the rebound or whatever. But the fact of the matter is we're always on the rebound from something. Uh, or we're always trying to account for like nobody fully goes into dating someone like I've been the happiest, most fulfilled person forever. And now I'll just also do this. Like there's, I don't know, everybody brings their stuff and everybody has like 
their pasts and he can miss Lindsay, but also think that Sarah's really special. And I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive. Right. Sarah gets to be a character without just being the other Lindsay. Like we were joking while watching it that like, Oh, I'm dating you because you look like her and maybe I could call you her in bed. But it's like, she's the person she's existed in the show before. She isn't even like just dropped in here randomly. We've seen Sarah like talk to the the freaks before and she has characterization in this episode. Plenty of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's it's interesting because like Nick and Lindsay's relationship felt felt at times like it was just going to be the relationship of the show. Like this is going to be the progression, right? That we're going to watch is like he likes her, and then maybe she likes him, but nope, she actually doesn't. And then they come to this conclusion of like, ah, we're both just people. We don't need to be tied to each other forever. There isn't like some we weren't like destined for each other. Whatever. Um, let's just be with whoever makes us happy. Uh. And I want to talk about like how that whole plot wraps up um, towards the end in the final like mm-hmm. disco scene. But um, plenty of other things happen in the episode. Uh, so speaking of like a time jump, I guess the the geeks uh, joined a club in the time off. Uh, they're all <laughs> they're all members of the AV club, which I guess is just like you get to hang out in the AV room and you have to hit play on the projector when it's time to show a movie in class. And you know how projector works, and you watch movies. That's the AV Club. That sounds fantastic. Sounds, sounds pretty fucking tight, man. I I really wish there was something like that at our high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no budget for any like extraneous club like that that didn't have to do with either the arts or academics, um, mm-hmm. or sports. Those were like all of the options. Well, and I mean, and also, you know, teachers had projectors. True, true. Like the technology of like we need kids to know how to play the movies because there's only one AV guy, and what if they're like you know that's completely worthless now because now you can just set they can like set up the projector or someone can just roll a TV into the room. I I always loved that feeling when they rolled a TV into the room and you're like oh shit we're gonna watch a movie, which meant in high school meaning I'm gonna sleep in class. <laughs> well, also you know when we were in high school they were rolling in like those huge uh crts with like a dvd player in the v or a vhs because the teacher could only rent this version of the great gatsby on vhs yeah and it's just something about like the towering monolith uh, yeah like the salvation that this towering monument brings that yeah it, it was a very unique feeling right um when we see at this time that there was like somebody who had to work that device and sit next to it and make sure it kept spinning, which is so mm-hmm. it's so analog. I love it. Um, so they're in there and we meet the guy who's the head of the AV department. Just a really like does this thing that freak that freaks and geeks doesn't always do, which is it has a side character who isn't going to come back, but like feels like his, his little story says so much so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, because he comes in and he's smoking a cigarette in the AV room and he's like, kids, you know, I'm smoking this and I know I look cool, but don't ever do it. You hear me? I need you to promise me you're not going to get into smoking. They're like, okay, Mr. Whatever. And then uh, they're all like, ah, oh, we're like, we got, what is it called? Like we got um, cleaned out before coming here, which just means uh, the bullies like, or the jocks ran by them and knocked their books over. I guess it's an end of the year thing that you do. I don't understand old school bullying tactics that much. 
Uh, <laughs> but they just knock their books over and they go, ha ha ha. And that's funny, I guess. Right. And they're like, oh, we got, we got uh, cleaned out. Like, we're never going to be cool. And then he has this like two minute scene where he explains social hierarchies and how people get older. Uh, and he's like, here's the jocks. You know, they start here and they go, wow, I can be in PB football. Wow, I'm on the high school team. Oh, I'm going to go to college. Oh, man. And then like, oh, I didn't get on because of my low GPA. Oh, I'm going to have to drop out of school. I have to get a shitty job. I got fired from my shitty job. Wah. Now, here's your life, geeks. Oh, I'm so sad. I'm getting clothesline. Girls hate me. Blah, blah, blah. Not clothesline. Not the wrestling move. Cleaned out. <laughs> I don't know why I said clothesline. Uh, and then, oh, I own a company. I'm successful. I went to the best school. I got married to a good, cool person. Blah, blah, blah. Success. And uh, Bill and Neil are, and uh, I think Harris and Gordon. No, Bill, Neil and, and Gordon um, are like, yay, this sounds great. And then Sam's like, no, wait, but that's like over a 10 year span. I don't, I want to be happy now. Yeah. I need immediate gratification. I just dated a, the like most popular girl and I broke up with her. I need more. <laughs> Savage. Uh, and then that's just, that's where that scene ends. And he's like, you know what? You got to like spend your time being a nerd happy. And how do you be happy? Well, you watch this 16 millimeter print of Monty Python and the Holy Grail that I got. Mm-hmm. Ugh. What does he say? AV is paradise on earth. Ugh. That is a satisfying moment where they all like huddle over it like it's the lost ark. And yeah. they're like, ooh, Prince. And uh, they get all excited, and that's like a nice little moment. Um, yeah. I. Ugh. Like, th- just the narrative of like, uh, you jocks are going to be pumping my gas one day is the worst. Totally. And the implicit thing in there of like, you know, one day our vengeance shall be served is, yeah, it's just annoying. Well, because I think one of our problems with the show that it keeps coming up is like, that was very common in the 80s and wasn't gone in the 90s. So even by the time the show was being written, it was still a bit of a thing of like, the, new, the, the nerds will rule the earth. Right. And it took quite a while until it reached a point of like, actually, everyone's kind of a nerd in their own little way. And we're on like being a nerd and being into pop culture is very cool because they have that like corny ass moment where Sam's like, we're cool. We like we what's wrong? What makes us nerds? And then Harris walks by and he's like, boys, new Dungeons and Dragons book, demons and demigods, blah, blah, blah. We're gonna have a great night tonight. And it's like, okay, I guess D&D makes you a nerd. Okay. Yeah. Ah, yeah. It's just a game, like, TNT's just a game where you tell stories and, like, fucking have fun together. And, like, they describe it later, like, you eat snacks and you beat up bad monsters. I, yeah, there's nothing. all get out of each other's business. Seriously. Uh, I wish I had, because I'm, like, telling this to high school me as well. Like, I can't mm-hmm. end this podcast saying, like, feeling superior to all these boys, because I was totally them. And I was totally like, ah. Oh, Someday those kids are going to feel bad. And, and I totally remember telling people at some point, like, girls don't like nice guys like me. Like, I probably said something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to come to this realization as you get older that, like, putting them in the villain role doesn't help anyone. Right. And putting them in the role of, like, the uh, how, oh, how the mighty have fallen someday. Like, it doesn't, because then when it doesn't happen, you feel like you should have been doing more. And they got lucky because they're not failures. And it's just like, it puts things on a wrong mm-hmm. balance. Very Yeah. I mean, it, it gives you the misconception. It gives you two misconceptions. One, that the world is fair. Right. And <laughs> no, it's not. Two, 
that you are that you deserve more that you're not getting what you deserve which is just going to set you up to be bitter and to not try right like if if the message that you're getting in this AV club is one day you're going to run a fortune 500 company how many people get to do that 500 people <laughs> in the whole world <laughs> like it's exactly not, not all of them are going to be doing that. It's sort of like when they tell Nick he's going to be a famous drummer, and it's like, oh, please, please, don't put that on him. Let him just figure out what he wants yeah. to do. It's like a lot. Um, uh, and then, I, again, like, I really like this AV Club character guy, um, especially because we haven't, we haven't had up to this point an adult who clearly used to be a geek, and that's who this guy is. And he's, he's right. speaking to them and trying to build them up because – the fact of the matter is he didn't fulfill those promises that people told him. And perhaps his jocks aren't failures. Maybe they're doing fine for themselves. He's running the AV club at a high, at a high school. school. Like, Which is fine. I Absolutely. But it's not the thing that he's telling them he's they're going to do one day. Exactly. It's, it's, I, I hope that the show, I think that the show realizes the sort of like sad irony of his words. I think it realizes that. I um, hope so. Yeah. And I hope it's, it's viewership realized that. I always worry when I talk to people who loved this show in their youth that like, maybe they, t- I worry that they took the wrong things from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the idea that like someone watched this cult show that taught them about like what it's like to, for the geeks to someday become cool and you can date the cool girl if you're nice and all that stuff. That worries me. Someone grew up with those thoughts. Growing up at like 99, because that's our age. That's like our, you know. Right. Or just a little bit older than us. We're the people that would have been watching this show as teens. Um, so that stuff, I don't know. I, I think a lot about that as we kind of like reach this end here, this this climax of the freaks and of the geeks. Um, but before uh, anything goes well at the AV Club, uh, Daniel is taking one of his last tests with Kauchevsky, who decides that just, okay, your final is pass-fail. Your whole class pass-fail based on this one test, I guess. Okay. Uh, and Daniel's all excited because he's going to cheat on it. And uh, whoops, turns out that the kid who he was going to cheat up with uh, broke his arm in gym class. Uh-oh. Whoopsie. Daniel solves the problem by going outside and pulling the fire alarm. And yet again, for like the umpteenth time, Jeff Rosso ready, willing, and able to stop anyone doing anything bad in this school. Because mm-hmm. remember, he caught them with the weed, and, like, every time anyone says anything bad or, like, they plan to do something bad in the hallways, Rosso just appears. And he's like, hey, hey, bro, I hope you, I hope there's a fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he calls him bro. And then uh, talks to him, and he's like, you disrespect me, so I'm gonna punish you by putting you in the AV club. What? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a weird ass punishment. Okay, it is, it is a very weird, socially targeted punishment. Because it's like, oh, your punishment is now you have to go to this club that other people opted into, but you didn't. Yeah, just just strange. Um, and he says, "How do you like them apples?" And I was like, "Okay," because I thought that was a line from old, just from Goodwill Hunting, which came out like in 1999. So timeline weirdness, but it doesn't matter. Uh. And so, yeah, we get Daniel in the AV club being like, man, I don't know how to spin a film reel. Man, this film reel must be on its period. <laughs> oh, like, that character's going to die. Which character? Oh, you're right. Oh, no, no, we can. R.I.P. 
we can oh <laughs> he's not gonna die holy crap he lives on in our hearts and minds yeah, you're right uh yeah <laughs> just watch Yu-Gi-Oh. the character of joey from Yu-Gi-Oh is secretly <laughs> just the voice that we're doing yug 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 exodia exodia um I really, I've watched like the first two episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh! recently. The rest of it was when I was like one. <laughs> um, anyways, no, I think there that character can can resurrect in other shows. I think it's sort of like uh, there is always a. I can't decide if I want to do the Bioshock reference or the Bible reference with like there is always a Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or there is always a lighthouse. There's always a man and there's always a girl. Oh, you did both. <laughs> I did both. You're welcome. Uh, there is always a hey man kind of character there's that... always money in the banana sand there... hey good work season five season no okay bring it back I don't think uh I daniel is in the av club yes arrested development he seems like he's not having fun and the geeks are assholes about it and they're like we can't have this cool kid in here even though sam says i know him he's fine right uh, just because he gave you a porno doesn't mean you're friends and he's like and he's like neil none of us know him i didn't say i know him i just said he's he knows my sister and he's probably fine yeah uh and they're like we have to make it so he has to show people movies all the time and we get that really long funny scene where we're in the like awful english teacher's class and he's going to show everybody the like 1960s romeo and juliet mm-hmm. and he's like and let's get the the film person in here Knock, knock, knock. It's Daniel. Ha, 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 ha. What? Daniel's here? I like that he was a, hey. a part of the same side character greatest hits of this episode as mall shirt guy. I like that they both loop back around. And, and oh, the, Lizzie Kaplan's character. All of them are like, you know, we, we won't see them again. Right. And then they come back and you're like, hey, oh, it continues that, that trend that the show did. Except also bring back Millie and bring back Alan, please no okay all right well you invested a lot of time in them for several episodes but all right all right they're just gone now we're the key foils to our two main characters but i guess that's true holy shit we're done with them um yeah the english teacher is making fun of daniel very mean very unkind being like all right idiot let's get that thing going you got to spin the film thing and there's like one geek in the back who just like fixes it for daniel Mm -hmm. And then they get the movie running, and he's like, I hate being bad at this. I'm bad at everything. And Daniel, finally, the way he conquers his character flaw of, like, uh, uh, he's like the Red Wizard from Final Fantasy. Like, he's a master of nothing, but he does everything, mm-hmm. is he he practices. He learns. Hey. He goes, wait a minute. I'm going to be open-minded for hey. once. I'm going to open up a book and learn how to work a fucking projector so I can be good at one thing in my dang life. Uh, and he, like, gets good at projectors. And then the geeks are like, hey, we're going to do Dungeons and Dragons. Do you want to come? And then they're like, no, he's not going to want to come. And then he fucking does. Well, the way that they convince him is because they're talking about a spell where you can like fight with. What is the spell? Flame sword that controls separately. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, that's stupid. You just make your sword fight for you. And they're like, no, it's so that you can fight two people at once. (laughs) And that, like, that sounds that's pretty cool. the thing that clinches it for Daniel. In that case, I definitely want to get into D&D. <laughs> uh, no, that was easy. Can we, just, can we just talk about the the moment where the geeks are pouring over the book that they're going to be using? I don't know if I'm jumping ahead or back or what, but 
Yeah, yeah, that's the senior. It's exactly the, the right scene. scene. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Harris comes in and what is he? He's like, this is going to be a great campaign. Can you say ancient Babylonia? Oh, yeah. I don't even know what Harris says. Because two words, ancient Babylonians. Yeah, thank you. I, and I can't remember oh what he God. says because my uh, everything in my mind was completely erased and replaced <laughs> by Gordon Crisp saying, "Have you seen this drawing of uh, of the goddess Ishtar? Hubba hubba." <laughs> <laughs> That's it's all I ever want to know for the rest of my life. Is that line, and that's it. Have you seen a strong of the goddess Ishtar? Haba, haba, Like they're just looking for pictures of boobies in the D and D book. That's yeah. so. That's so the geeks. And then also Gordon's episode, or his line in the last episode, where he's giving Sam dating advice. What was the line that he had? He did like an accent. I forget which one it was. He did like a British accent or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> we should take her to see a Broadway show. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. I would take her to be to a Broadway show. <laughs> Uh, Gordon, um, could work. And then he's like, I don't know, taking a movie? Like, <laughs> if we can't do that, then go see the jerk. Um, yeah, Gordon's great. Gordon has those good moments. Good, 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 good. Gordon secretly mm-hmm. starting to beat out Harris for my favorite geek. Oh yeah. Um, even though Harris still looks like you, and it weirds me out. Um, well, not you now. You're you now is like flawless Roman Greco. <laughs> Greco d- d- wrestling, hubba hubba hubba. You're like the goddess Ishtar, man. You're like hot. <laughs> you're hot. I hate the word hot. <laughs> used to goddess. describe humans. I <laughs> fucking hate it. If you can't tell already, <laughs> it's so icky. Um, it's like Darth Icky. George Lucas's name that he almost gave the Apprentice from for the Force Unleashed. Darth Icky. Deep cut. Deep um, cut. Cut deep. Cut. Deep. Yeah, that's like trivia for a bad an obscure game. Anyways, uh. Uh, where were we? Yeah, so they're gonna play D anD D, and Daniel joins in, and uh, that scene happens, but it only happens like once the disco plot catches up, and the two intertwine in the most beautiful scene of the whole show. It like makes me want to cry. It's so good. Yep, it's awesome. The disco stuff progresses, and Ken's really pissed because he's like, ah. Nick is not being honest to his true self. He's only dating uh, this girl because she's like Lindsay. He needs to break up with her and he needs to stop doing disco because disco sucks. And rock and roll is good. What happened to you from last episode, Ken? Why are you suddenly a bigot again? Come on. Uh, whatever. And uh, so he's like, ah, oh, he eventually goes to the disco place. Doesn't agree to go practice with them. And But well, actually before that, Nick and Sarah are dancing and then he's like, you know who else I would impress? Lindsay. The scene like hard cuts. Uh, and then Sarah's like, Nick, do you are you are you only dating me because I'm like Lindsay? Because no, I've had no, a crush on you no. since like third grade. Baby, baby, no. No, you're great. She straight up says I've had a crush on you for third grade and I never believed you would ever like me. And you're like, oh, the men on this show tend to date people for like victory reasons and the women actually have like crushes and are like it's like weird and uh he well i mean he's kind of like no no you're great i think you're amazing and tries to like impress her with his disco skills i think he does think that she's amazing well he does yeah um it's not that he's convincing her yeah he just kind of like convinces himself and then it becomes true um that she's great 
and uh, we get the disco scene where it's like, oh, Nick, you're up. But right before that, Lindsay comes in and she's like, hey, are you just, do, is this awkward? And they're like, yep, it's awkward, but we're fine, right? Let's be adults about this. Okay, cool. And that is the last Nick and Lindsay moment of the show. Wipe your hands of it. We did it. We're done. Oof. Yay. I brushed the sweat off my brow after that because I was happy to never have to see them be awkward together again. Uh, and Nick goes off and does a pretty decent disco routine. It's like not terrible. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, it's got some good moves. He's very tall. Jason Siegel is a very tall, very lanky gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he gets scored. And then the like capper on that scene is that he does well. But then the next guy who goes on, his name is like, what is his fucking name? I remember. It's like, oh, it's Eugene. Next up is you, the magician Eugene. And then Eugene just does a magic act, a disco magic act. It's bizarre. It has like it nothing weird. to do with anything. Yeah, it was weird. It, I, I was saying to you, I thought that was just like somebody on the crew of the show was good at magic and just wanted to show off for fun. Mm-hmm. This was the last day of shooting. But Nick looks at that and just kind of goes like, huh, mate, wh- I don't know. Like, that's the last Nick moment is him looking at that being like, well, I guess maybe disco. Maybe I'm not the best disco master. Just a bizarre it moment to weird. end on. Yeah, it was weird. Because I, I guess that's not supposed to be the last Nick moment. So if they like kept on and the next season started with like him being a couple months into dating Sarah, mm-hmm. that would have made a lot more sense. Um because this episode isn't about him. It's about like it's about Lindsay and it's about Sam and it's about uh, Daniel, basically. Um, so while all of that leave your boogie behind stuff is happening, we get like the that happening. The music is playing while the geeks are playing D&D with Daniel. Can I just and one thing? Uh, you said the capper on that disco scene was the disco dude. And I think the capper on that scene was Lizzie Kaplan, and Lizzie Kaplan's the best. Sorry, go ahead. The cat, the Kaplaner. She's the Kaplaner. Sorry, go ahead. She's a she's great. She's great. The hairdo is a cool hairdo. <laughs> you were looking at her boobs the whole oh, time. Okay, it was a cool hairdo. <laughs> um, go ahead. They're playing D and D. Well, because it's also like he's making a character, which I well, I wanted to use this opportunity for us to talk about our experience with D and D, but we have not. We've played like a single small session of D and D many many years ago. Mm-hmm. Which went fine, and I thought that was really fun. And then a couple months ago, you, me, and a third friend were like, "We're gonna play an RPG finally," and we like made characters. I just, I love RPGs. I'm looking at the player's handbook right now for Dungeon World, which is a really great, uh, similar to D and D kind of RPG. Uh, we're big fans. We haven't, I haven't like played one much, but mm-hmm. I love the idea. And I played like video games, so I like know how RPG systems work, but. I really want to just like have someone yell an adventure at me and then I have to like respond with dice rolls. Mm-hmm. That sounds so fun. Which I'll be my DM. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. No, they're playing and they're like giving him a randomly generated character and he makes Carlos the dwarf and uh, they kick a bunch of butt. And it's just, I think the reason I love it is for a couple of reasons. One, the fact that Daniel is hanging out with the geeks is like the coda to this show being called freaks and geeks Mm, mm -hmm. and what we finally realize is like the difference is just words and even those two words sound similar they're just they're all the same people they all like weird shit and they want to get along with others 
Um, and then also you could really look into it and talk about how D and D is about playing characters and everybody on the show is playing a character and playing an archetype Mm -hmm. and trying to break out of that. Mm -hmm. It's all there. And it's mixed with the disco stuff, which is Nick trying to like be someone he didn't know he was yet and trying to like figure himself out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Nick and Daniel are having parallel moments. Exactly. They're both going like, huh, this is like fun. I'm enjoying this this. thing that I didn't know I was like this, but I really like it. Exactly. I think that stuff is so inspiring and charming. That's the stuff that I want a young audience to take from this is like, oh, it's all great. You can just do whatever you want and and find what makes you happy. Yeah. Well, and the ultimate takeaway is um, the geeks, when Daniel leaves the room, like, I'll get us some snacks and we can play some more. They're like, does this mean that we're becoming cool cool or he's becoming a geek? It's like, who cares? I guess we're it's cool. Neither. <laughs> the answer is neither. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, because ultimately, the moral of this episode, including the secret third plot, which you unlock once you beat up the, all the other endings, is um, <laughs> is this great Lindsay plot? Because so the ultimate thing is like, uh, don't follow the prescribed roles set for you by others. Instead, do the thing that makes you happy and do it as much as you can. Right. That's like the message the of the episode. Of the show, really. Right, right. Do your do your own damn thing. Do your own damn thing. I love it. Uh, Lindsay gets invited to this like academic retreat at the University of Michigan and spends a lot of the episode being like, I don't know if I want to do this because it's like a big chunk of my summer and I was going to just like goof off and have fun. Mm-hmm. And Kim, the, the part that's like a turning point for her is that great scene where she's telling Kim that and Kim is like, you realize how lucky you are that you have that option, right? Like that's not, not all of us can like travel and go across the country or whatever, or go, you know, cross state, the state, mm-hmm. um, because we're super smart. We have a high GPA. Like some of us have to just sit here and like do nothing. Daniel doesn't want to go anywhere. I don't like to go anywhere without him. Uh, I'm just kind of trapped here. I'm grounded for summer. And, uh, so she kind of leaves Kim on that. And then she talks to Rosso about all the stuff. And he's like, you should definitely do the retreat. Be smart. Be the me that I want you to be. Uh, but if you're having trouble thinking about it, here's a recommendation. Uh, here's an album. You should listen to this album. Because when I listen to this album, it makes me feel really good. And it helped me through a lot of big decisions in life. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's the Grateful Dead album, hey. which I can't remember the name of. The American Dream is the name of the album. Um, and he gives it to her and the deadheads who were previously just like side joke characters again, come back and they're like, Whoa, is that the American dream? Great album, best album, literally life changing album. And she indulges them and says like, Oh, what's, what's so good about it. And they're like, honestly, what I liked about them is they, they characterize them way better than they did when the girl was just like, Whoa, what's up? Hey, everybody. And Daniel was just like, oh, deadheads, they're crazy, but they're hot. Because now it's her and this other dude, and they're just like, hey, the thing with Grateful Dead is that all of the fans just like each other, and there's no judgment. Lindsay's like, oh, that's a a movement I can get into. Yeah. That sounds fun. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite scenes is she goes into a room and starts kind of mulling over what she wants to do with her summer and starts jamming out to the American Dream, and it's just this, like, really nice scene where I think the way Freaks and Geeks uses music is one of the best things about it. Yeah, I agree. Like the whole soundtrack is so lovingly chosen um, throughout the show. Like it's why I constantly bring up the music that's playing and, and the artists and stuff is because 
clearly the creators gave, gave a ton of care to that. Um, it like defines the show in a lot of ways. And so Lindsay's like dancing to the stuff and getting so happy from it and just feels at peace. And you're like, oh man, maybe the Grateful Dead is like a thing that she wants to get into and be happy with. And when she meets the other deadheads, they say, oh, we go on tour like every summer. We're going to go on tour to like, we're going to follow them around and it'll be great. She's like, wow, that sounds awesome, but I'm going to a summit. And then they're like, oh, you know, do uh, what you got to yeah, do, do your homie. Thing. Do your thing. They're just so nice. They're not trying to like push her. They don't like make her feel bad. They're just, they're just nice people um, that kind of have a good thing going on, but they're also probably stoned. And uh, so the final scene of the whole show, uh, did I miss anything? Can we get to it? Let's just jump right to it. Yeah. So Lindsay is hopping on a bus because uh, I guess she didn't want her parents to drive her or whatever. Um, and she's going theoretically to the University of Michigan. They bought her bus ticket and we get the parents saying goodbye to her. We get Sam saying goodbye. We get Neil and Bill coming by with chocolate getting their final lines in where Neil gets a kiss and he's like, Oh, I, I spent money and got a girl to kiss me. I guess my ego is even more inflated and my sense of masculinity is cracked in half. <laughs> um, but then Bill does nothing. He's just pure and perfect. And he gets a kiss and he's like, I didn't have to pay one cent for that. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, Bill, Bill. And she says, thanks guys. I love you all. I'll see you in a couple weeks hopping on a bus. And what's so brilliant about this final moment is like, again, I mentioned this to you while we were watching it. There's no doubt. There's no like ambiguity to what she's going to do from the second she gets on that bus because a Grateful Dead song starts playing. Um, if you're careful and listening and like, it looks like the first stop she gets off at. She's like, she, she's on the bus for two seconds yeah. and, then, and then gets off and the music is playing and it's clearly this Grateful Dead song now. And lo and behold, who's there waiting for at the bus? It's Kim. And all their cool friends. And all of the deadheads. Kim's got her hair in braids. They've got a van with a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy sticker on it. And Lindsay decides that the thing that makes her the happiest is to be with her friends and be happy. Yay. So they ride off in the fun hippie bus to the Grateful Dead concert. And that is the note that we close Freaks and Geeks on. It's a pretty appropriate note. I think it encapsulates the show's emphasis on like doing your own thing and being nonconformist. And it's a little bit like, don't be a smarty nerd cause it's boring, but in a charming way. So yeah, I think it, I think it is an, is a fitting moment to end Lindsay's story. I think this show does do plenty of don't be a nerd cause it's conforming kind of stuff. But her choice to not do the academic thing is because all of the reasons that people want her to go are like prescribed to her. Right. Like, you should go because it'll look good on college and right, it'll right, it's right. good because you're smart and you belong there. And it's like, what What if I don't want to go there? What if I True. just don't want to go True. there? Um. But yes, I do think that the show oftentimes is like, maybe it's not worth your time to keep studying forever. And that doesn't always feel great mm -hmm. to hear as a message. Um. But yeah, I think it's a really cohesive finale and I think it made me really happy and it is memorable for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and not all of the notes end perfectly because the show was canceled, I guess, for just bad ratings. Um, but I think that Feig and Apatow and, and the whole gang 
Uh, they did a really amazing job with a show that I will continue to remember fondly, uh, mostly fondly, uh, for many years to come. Yeah. Um, Same here. I don't think it. I don't think I'm missing anything. What do you mean? Like, there's not really. I don't need there to be more episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I would like. Like, I could. I would. I'd be into like reading a light bit of fan fiction that's like, oh, and then Lindsay, you know. I would like like a joke, like a small little anecdote that's just like, here's something they do in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe be it written by Feig or written by a fan or whatever. But like, I don't need a new season. There just doesn't need to be one. It's a story. It's complete. Yeah. It has its arc and it completes. That's it. Um, And I guess, yeah, that man, that completes our, our adventure that it does. here on Freeze Chats. That it does. Uh, but just because all journeys have to come to an end doesn't mean that they have to be the end of all journeys forever and ever. Ah. I'm repeating myself a lot. It's very late. <laughs> ah. I like that. Magellan, we're not done yet. This, th- the rule, the whole premise of chats is we do it until we die. Yeah. What? Who made that rule? We stated that, but uh, that's the show you're listening to broadly. Chats, a television podcast. We just keep watching new shows. It's our thing. Until, until there's no more shows or until there's no more us. Yeah. Or until um, we hate each other, I guess. Nah, it happened a while ago. That's fine. Hey, best friend. Hey, smooch, smooch, smooch. So, uh, Magellan, I kind of want to watch another show with you. No. Oh. Just kidding. Well. It's like a, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> no. You uh, shouldn't have. I want to watch a longer show, like a beefy show. Okay, well. Okay. I want to watch a, uh, I want to watch an animated show. You want to watch anime? I want to watch an animated show. I also, I do want to watch anime, but I suppose that's, it's a question that might linger in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Let's, let's uh, split the difference. Let's watch an animated, almost anime show. Yeah. That's somewhat beefy, I guess. All right. But we got to decide which one we got to watch, dude. So we got a beefy show. It's animated, but it's not anime. I like magic. What? What? Not Teen Titans Go. Not, not sh- <laughs> no, don't, not don't. Sh- Sorry, do not giving impressions that we were doing a different show than what we're doing. Keep going. You wanted to have magic. Yeah, I definitely want some sort of like magic. I want like fun animals. I want it to not be entirely white. Hmm. I well, want that some might comedy. Be tough, but okay. <laughs> but Jalen on his list of of shows right now is scrolling. He's right, crossing out like fifteen <laughs> shows in a row. As soon as I said that, it's like, oh shit! My list, Scooby Doo, on my list was the words "entirely white." Yeah, that was the whole list. So, uh, wait a minute, what's this? This show from 2005? I was 11 years old. I watched it when I was a kid. It's the first chats show where Alan has watched it and Magellan has not. Oh. Alan, play the theme song. <laughs> Right, folks. We have now left Freeze Chats behind, and we are moving into the last Chats Bender. You are now listening to a podcast about Avatar: The Last Airbender. Gotcha. It will. Got him. Ah, your your podcast thing is wrong now. It says, "Well, it's okay." Well, it'll be right. It's actually right next week. You know, it'll be okay. It, it'll be. It'll get right. Um. 
This is Chats, a television podcast, season three. Book three. Avatar, the last airbender. Book three. Avatar, the last airbender. Last Chatsbender. Chats, a television podcast, book three, Avatar, the last Chatsbender. Yes, I did it. You did it perfectly right. Hey, you want to hear something else done perfectly right? (laughs) What's that, Magellan? (laughs) I bet you want to know what two episodes we're watching for next time. I do, and I'm going to tell you. Oh. I'm going to tell you. We're flipping the script. Magellan's going to be doing the intros going forward, and I'm going to be doing the the previews and the trivia. I was going to lose my favorite part of the show. No, I told you right before this. I'm going to do the the previews. Go ahead. Okay, do you want to just do the previews? No, 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 you don't. Okay. So I need to look up the previews while we do this. Um, This show, for the... people watching at home is very near and dear to my heart it's a wonderful show it's very fun and interesting and creepy and exciting and beautiful and sad and heartfelt and uh just oh it's one of my favorite shows of all time um i watched it when it aired almost entirely in bits and pieces i rewatched the entire thing about half a decade ago um and it's so good and uh and three from what's up from my end uh I haven't seen it. People have told me to see it. I have ninth graders that I work with who've talked about it to me before. And for a minute, I pretended like I knew what they were talking about and repeated words that I'd heard about the show. And then they got mad at me. And they were like, oh, you're not a real fan. You're not a real bender. So now I'm going to secretly start watching it and start saying real things about the show and really confuse them. You can all talk. You can tell them about like the King of Omashu and the, like all the the warrior, the Kyoshi warrior. Who's your favorite Kyoshi warrior and all that good stuff. Right, and then I can tell them Ugh. they're going to run a Fortune 500 company someday. Yep, 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 yep. And none of them will get it. <laughs> Perfect. Um. So yeah, we're going to be watching Avatar: The Last Airbender two episodes a week. It's going to be a rigid two episodes a week because the show was split into three 20 episode seasons. So that puts us at um, assuming everything goes the way it goes. Uh, let's call it. And twenty is that thirty plus some thirty plus some season recaps thrown in there. Yeah, we're gonna be doing some season recaps. Yep, and we might. There's like the I've read even some of the comics that follow up this show, and they're really good. And then there's another show called The Legend of Korra that we may or may not actually talk about. We will see. Um, but for now, let's keep it small scale. We're watching Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, it is not on Netflix, uh, US currently. It is all available if you have amazon prime on amazon prime video and that is the way that we are going to be watching it that's going to be where we get our previews from um and i'm going to be sort of like a callback to our farscape podcast escape chats rest in peace but never dead um what is dead may never die escape chats uh, i'm going to be pulling some trivia from the avatar the last airbender wiki and reading that at the end of episode yay yes it's very I exciting do so miss wiki um, trivia it's great and we love it. Um, and it's just going to be nice because this is like a breezier show. It's going to be a pretty light podcast. I don't think we're going to get like too like crazy dark with anything mm-hmm. until later in it. Uh, and all of the episodes are like 20 to 25 minutes yeah, long. So it should so, be easy to, to watch along with us. Exactly. Easy to watch along with us. Easy for us to like be able to get episodes more out more consistently just because it's like you don't have to watch two 45 minute things a week. Uh, and also like live your life um so i think it's gonna be a great time um so for next week for avatar the last chat spender episode one we are going to be watching 
Season 1, Episode 1, The Boy in the Iceberg. Katara and Sokka, a brother and sister from the Southern Water Tribe, discover a 12-year-old boy frozen in an iceberg. Very cool way to sort of set things up, I think. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be watching Season 1, Episode 2, The Avatar Returns. Prince Zuko, a young firebender whose mission in life it is to capture the Avatar, tracks Aang down to the Southern Water Tribe village where Katara and Sokka live. Uh-oh. Um, these, the fire ones uh, are the, are these the two bad episodes, ones. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, it's moral shades of Grey Magellan, actually, but, you know, <laughs> it's however you want to interpret it. These two episodes are basically, it's basically a two-part pilot, but it's informally a two-part pilot. They aired the same day, February 2005. Um, and I'm really excited. I can't wait. It's uh, it's going to be a really fun adventure. And uh, let's do some plugs. So if people have questions about that, if people want to do their wrap-ups on Freaks Chats, you can send those all to the same place because we have consolidated our social media brands down to email chatspod at gmail.com, Twitter at chatspod. And for us, uh, you can find us on Twitter, I'm at Alan Ibrahim, spelled A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. Magellan? You can find me on Twitter at JustaFluke. That's J-U-S-T-A-P-F-L-U-K-E. Magnificent. And I guess for one last time, thank you for listening to Freaks Chats. Welcome next week to Avatar The Last Chatsbender. And uh, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. <laughs>
Where did Allie yeah. and Millie go off to? They just go off to like book. <laughs> well, you know, put that into your fanfic. Put that into your predictions. Oh. <laughs> when we do the season two predictions, Dad. Yeah, yeah. There will be a Freaks and Geeks revival of some sort in our lifetime, okay? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Probably. 